Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Fifty-two years to Gloria. That took an unholy amount of coordination. <laughs> and that's our worst intro ever. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> the St. Louis Blues have won the hearts of all 29 other NHL teams and fan bases not in the playoffs. Even Chicago fans were rooting for St. Louis at this point. That's probably a lie. If you're a Chicago fan, I'm sorry for speaking for you. But if you were rooting against St. Louis, you're actually just wrong. Technically now, because they won. These were the weirdest playoffs of all time. All time. It's up there. No, the weirdest. Nothing was... Everything down to this last game was unpredictable. You're telling me that Boston that showed... The team that showed that they were objectively the more talented team in this series... Compared to St. Louis, who had to grind out every win practically... Won on the road in an elimination game and brought Game 7 of the Cup Finals back home. And then they put out that effort? They outshot, they outshot St. Louis almost 2-1. to one. Yeah. Not high-quality scoring chances. That's the but thing, right? St. Louis wasn't generating a ton, which is probably due to, you know, Boston. Boston just seemed devastated after every St. Louis goal. Oh, yeah. Their, their lapses were bad. Um, Brad Marchand with an all-time bad line change. Oh, boy. That will go down as one of the worst clutch, uh, worst moments in a clutch playoff game in, like, this generation's, play, like, Stanley Cup final history. It's one thing if you go for a bad change when you're absolutely dying at the end of a shift and you know that just staying on the ice is going to make it worse. There is... 10 seconds left in the period when he went off. He committed to a hit that he shouldn't have in transition and then left when he was supposed to be at least covering the empty gap where the player who ended up putting the puck in the net ended up being. That is not the first time these playoffs that Brad Marchand missed his assignment because of just like giving up on a player being in the worst position possible. I'm actually thoroughly surprised that he did this that many times in the playoffs. Mind you, he still finishes the leading point getter in the playoffs tied with Ryan O'Reilly. But that's not what he's thinking about. <laughs> no. This is why the NHL needs a Brad Marchand. This is why I love the concept of Brad Marchand. Because he is so good at being such a hateful character and he plays it up so well in moments like this. My happiness factor is just exponentially higher. Yeah, you love to see it. The level of shot and fruit happening in the hockey world right now. I tweeted out the following. Someone is going to make a gif of Brad Marchand crying like we just saw on TV, and it is going to get a lot of mileage on this website. I didn't even make the damn gif, and it instantly got 200 likes. Jeff Vayette put out the gif, and that thing shot to 10,000 like or whatever it's at right now like in a heartbeat I saw it everywhere my mom texted it to me have you been on Twitter today no uh, yeah a little bit Brad Marchand crying face is the new dark guy avatar 
Everybody has that avatar now. It's oh man, the moment they show that on TV, I'm like the person uh, I can't remember what their name is. Pretty much the conductor in the camera room who tells them like what shot to go to, like camera six go. I'm sure he's got a far more technical title than that. But conductor works. Camera conductor. Uh, he saw that on one of the tiny screens in front of him and just went yes. <laughs> Yes, and he's he tears open his shirt. You see a maple leaf on it. Yes, <laughs> this is that is, I kid you not, literally the best thing that could have happened to Leafs fans other than the Leafs winning the cup in the playoffs, like in these NHL playoffs. Is it though? It hundred percent. A hundred percent is. Every Leafs fan would have said instead of losing in the Cup Finals, they would have rather have lost to Boston in the first round and then see Brad Marchand cry on, on home ice. But with that Boston loss and St. Louis win, the Toronto Maple Leafs now hold sole possession of the longest. They cup don't throat. care. In for a penny, in for a pound. They've like that stopped you and I from the loser since '67 thing. This is true. Also, Boston losing now. Uh, broke the tie with the Red Wings for the most cup final losses. So that is your crown, Boston. Wear it. Yes. Everybody wins. I, this feels so bad. Except Boston, which is the point. This is the point. Here we are. Uh, Tuka Rask, it sucks because he still put up a good effort. We'll get into him later because when we break down the finals, I have some opinions. It uh, It's unfortunate to see Boston fans who immediately started blaming Rask. I'm like, uh, the what? Boston Bruins scored checks notes zero goals this game up until that power play they did with like less than two minutes left when it didn't matter they did absolutely nothing the the pot like pasternak looked out to lunch which was weird marchand <laughs> did that thing um the fact that zidane Chara is standing out for you as a player means the rest of your team is doing pretty poorly and that's not a knock at chara I, I will be one of the first to criticize Chara a lot of the time. I I do genuinely think he gets away with too much, and I, I he has a little bit of a reputation that doesn't get applied to him fairly in my mind, but still, that guy is a warrior. He pretty much held his mouth shut for like three straight weeks. How do you yell at the refs? It's scary enough. They just hear like a guttural growl, and they're like, oh, sorry, Z- sorry Zidane, sorry. I just imagine he sounds like the Aqua dude from the G.I. Joe parodies on YouTube. <laughs> That's a good reference. I like that one. <laughs> every it, once in a while, I have one. You Every once in a while, you do. Uh, Chara finally got to unhinge his jaw. Thankfully for him, he has to be in an immense amount of pain. Um, yeah, you know what? It was just a bizarre series. After seeing Bo- uh, Boston dominate in Game 3 like they did, I think it was it 5-1 or 6-1 or something? 7-2. Seven, 7-3, two. Two, seven, something yeah. like that. I was like, there's no way they lose. If they lose the series, it's on them. And it is. That's completely on them. Did they lose three times at home? They're dead. St. Louis only. St. Louis won uh, the Stanley Cup while winning only six games at home. If you think about that, if you are complaining about the referees in a playoff series, and there were some bad calls, but then you also lose three games on home ice in the Cup Finals, you then lose the ability to complain about anything else. That loss is completely on you. And St. Louis's power play in the finals was just beyond atrocious it made the red wings power play from this season look yeah. like the harlem globetrotters um but more importantly in game seven the reason why the blues weren't undone by their horrendous power play is because they didn't have one no they did not have a single power play in game seven and so yeah no Bruins fans are not allowed to complain about the refs the 
uh, funniest thing I've been seeing go around. It's been copied and pasted everywhere. Like this isn't an original joke by any means. Is people going, you know, I never thought I got to the point where I would actually feel Brad for Brad Marchand, and I was right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh man, they had me in the first half. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that that uh, get ready because that's going to be ingrained in hockey's popular culture now. That Brad Marchand crying, like leaning on his stick. You know what? If you're gonna give the shots like he does. That's the pitfall of it too. His face is going to be plastered everywhere. You know he's going to own it well next year. People basking and enjoying a Brad's misery. Welcome to the Wing Wheel Podcast. <laughs> I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad. Yes. I'm not sad though. You're never sad. That's what pisses me off about you. <laughs> um, I can't. I can't let the listeners win. <laughs> someone. Someone. Uh, a lot of uh, hockey media resides in and around Boston, one of the most major cities on the eastern seaboard in the states obviously that's going to be the case but someone goes can't sports uh like can't sports fans enjoy something without like lording it over the losing team or like making fun of another team and i think it was like that's cappy on twitter like the leafs guy he was like this is literally 50 percent, like literally 50 percent of the enjoyability of sports is doing that what do you mean <laughs> what are you talking about it's that's what winning is I win, you lose. I'm better. <laughs> Go home. I'm big, you're small. That's the whole point of it. That's what they get to do. That is a, a technical analysis of the series. So let's break down to uh, the, some broader strokes here. Con Smythe winner. Oh, what do you want to do first? No, let's do this first. I'll get to my next point later. I'm happy they made the right choice for Con Smythe. I was worried they were going to give it to Jordan Biddington. Ryan O'Reilly was absolutely the right choice from the St. Louis Blues for the Con Smythe. Tuukka Rask should have won it. No. 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 You you break down the... Someone actually broke down a ton of Rask's numbers from these playoffs. It's staggering. It still he, doesn't come close to Jaguar in 03. Doesn't matter. It certainly You're, does. Jaguar in 03 might be the single greatest playoff performance by goalie ever. Yeah. Yeah. I think if it's, you're going to win on a lo- win the Conn Smythe on a losing team, your play has to transcend... Everyone else on the ice. And I don't think... Oh, I think it might have. It was 23 out of 24 of Boston's playoff games. Tukarask had a north of 900 save percentage. That's that's not staggering. Do you know how hard it is to be that consistent? Because here's the thing with the... Con- here's the flaw in the Con Smythe Trophy. Mind you, not all rounds should be weighted equal. But people tend to forget about the first three rounds. I don't think Boston was the better team in the series against Toronto. But Rask was unreal, so they won it. Toronto kind of shot themselves in the foot in a couple ways, but much like Boston did in the finals. <laughs> Columbus was the team with all the momentum going into the second round, and Tuka Rask just said no. The Carolina series, yeah, that was just domination by everybody on the Bruins, but Rask didn't let up. And then in the finals, you had the hottest team in the NHL since January 2nd, and Rask took him to school for a good chunk of that finals. Man, I don't, I do not like giving the Conn Smythe to a player on a losing team, but he's had the best claim to it since Shigeru in 03. That might be true, but I still don't, th- still don't think it was enough. Now, if, if St. Louis had a guy who was truly dominant in these playoffs, yeah, I'd give it to him, but St. Louis truly was the team that won by committee. Bennington yeah. was good, not great. O'Reilly was the tied for the playoff leading scorer, but he wasn't even a point per game player. Tarasenko was real hot. Was he not? He was not. 
How many? Oh, because they played 26 games. They played 26. Tied for the most ever. Um, Tarasenko was good, but cooled off in the last four games. Jaden Schwartz was hot, but he cooled off. I think Petrangelo didn't get nearly as long a look for the Consmite as he probably should have. He got a lot of votes. He did get a lot of votes, and he should have. He should have. He was right there with O'Reilly in my mind. Coin flip between those two. But St. Louis didn't have that guy. O'Reilly was great, but he wasn't... Like, this isn't a Conn Smythe win that, that people are going to remember forever. No, it's but- not like Tim Thomas in 2011. It's not like Zetterberg in 08. Like, there's not that many Conn Smythe where it's like, yeah, that was the easy choice hands down. You know, St. Who- Louis was the... The minimal of that. I also don't think Tarasenko got a long enough look, honestly. No, I don't. Again, that's the recency bias of the finals. Up till, I would say, game two or three of the finals, it was Tarasenko's. Yeah. He had a very quiet final Latter four half. games, so people forgot about him, even though he had that beautiful assist of Braden Shen uh, for the dagger goal. But, man, yeah, and then... That was his dad strength coming out. Yeah. There's honestly. already a picture of his uh, newborn in the cup. Yeah. He uh, so the PWHA, which is the Professional Hockey Writers Association, put out their vote by vote look at how Ryan O'Reilly won the Conn Smythe Trophy. So how each person voted. Um, so it, it's not. It's asking me to trust it. What plugin could the PWHA have, anyways? Ryan O'Reilly, Jordan Bennington got one, two, three, four, five. Every first place vote that wasn't Ryan O'Reilly of the eighteen went to Jordan Benning- Jordan Bennington, which I don't understand. Game seven. Recency bias. Oh, that kills me. It's in I, entire playoffs. Recency bias is a very real thing, and unfortunately, we can't avoid it. Tuka Rask was left off of... How many players go on each ballot? Like, do they three. just... Three. Tuka Rask was left off of, like, four or five ballots out of 18. He was on 13 of the ballots as a Good, losing that, player. That makes me feel better. He has a ton yeah. of second-place votes, and pretty much whatever's a second-place vote... Well, obviously, whatever's a second-place vote isn't a second place is a third place vote um in order ryan o'reilly was seven so it's uh a first first place vote gets five points second place vote gets three points third place vote gets one point 78 points ryan o'reilly he was a runaway favorite 13 first place votes second place was jordan biddington with 46 points five first place votes which i think is wrong he came in with a sub 9 12 save percentage he pretty much someone broke it down on 538 he didn't have a bad playoffs. He was great. Obviously, he was phenomenal, especially in Game 7. And you can cherry-pick different games where he absolutely stole a game. But he also had his stinkers. And he had two he, in the finals. He wasn't consistent either. Of cup-winning goalies, his was of the worst performances. Not to say he had a bad performance, but of cup winners, his is on the lower end of goalie performances. The fact that he's a... Rook- Chris Osgood, 2008. Yeah. Uh, oh, boy, that kills me. Um, hey, we still got the cup. I'm happy. <laughs> Well, no, because then I thought about 2009 and what Chris good did. Ryan, that was that was the lockout we forgot about. Five players got votes. Guess who they are? Five players got votes? Yeah. Okay, so we know O'Reilly, uh, Bennington, Rask. Yep. The only other two that would make any semblance of sense would be Petrangelo and Tarasenko. Not Tarasenko. What? Keep guessing. This one, it kills me. I don't understand it. it I really don't. I think it's just more recency give bias. Me the, give me the team. Uh, St. Louis, obviously. Okay, St. Louis. Okay. It's not... So, giving your recency bias, I'm going to say it's not going to be Jaden Schwartz because he was hot at the beginning. It's probably not Braden Shen because he was pretty quiet in the finals. I'm going to go Colton Pareko. Yeah. Yeah. I 
Colton Pareko is a great defenseman. I thought he was really good. Um, he's one of those guys where you're like, oh, it's a big who's a big guy who can move and actually defend. And most times when people say that, you end up with Jonathan Erickson, which is. <laughs> but Colton Pareko is genuinely a big guy who can really defend, and he had a great playoffs, especially in the finals. He, in, in the last couple of games, he made some key plays. But I don't understand how Tarasenko doesn't even get a vote in there. <laughs> that does not make sense. Crazy to me. Uh, not a single vote. Granted, you only have three guys to pick from, but if you have Colton Pareko on your list and you don't have Vladimir Tarasenko, I really think you're not taking a whole fi- a whole playoffs into account. No. Which is difficult no, because these writers aren't watching every game of this team. Like, No one was watching St. Louis's first round because they were more fixated on Columbus-Tampa Bay, right? Right. So it's yeah. difficult. No, it's it's very true. It's like It was like my rant about the draft a week ago where teams were saying the Red Wing were drafted experts like literal experts who are on tv are saying the red wings biggest need is that wing no of course they wouldn't know that they watched three games of detroit all year okay uh elliot friedman and bob mckenzie both had exact same votes one two and three guess what they are okay based on uh how i know them uh, they would have went in order o'reilly petrangelo rask bennington O'Reilly Rask. Ooh, I was close. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, you know what? The Bennington story is good, but it's a, that story is good within its own context. He's not... Anyways, Ryan O'Reilly did end up winning. I'm very happy for the guy. What a turnaround. He went from self, admittedly losing his passion for the game, uh, barely escaping a DUI charge after he ran his truck into a wall of a Tim Hortons, or it was like, some, like a wall around the property of a Tim Hortons, uh, got moved... Got traded from Colorado, got traded from Buffalo, ended up in St. Louis, and was on like the worst team in the league as of what January or December? January second, they were dead last in the entire NHL. I'm extremely happy for that guy. He is a phenomenal, phenomenally underrated player. Probably not anymore. Everyone's eyes are on him, but it's yeah. kind of like you know how Mark Stone has really emerged over the past year and a half. We have exactly what's it June? We have exactly seven months till the Ryan O'Reilly is overrated takes. Yeah, <laughs> put that on a timer, honestly. But the same way people are starting to come around on Mark Stone, where they're like, "Oh my God, this guy literally does everything well." You were getting there with Ryan O'Reilly. He is a fantastic player, and I'm thrilled with him as a Con Smythe. Tuka Rask was one team game away from having one of the most dominant goalie performances since Jaguar. Yeah, like his numbers were, I think someone was saying, uh, on par or better than Tim Thomas in 2011. In, and it's relevant, in a much higher scoring season. Yeah, it's not easy. And they, they played some tough teams too. Oh, yeah. You went through Toronto in the first round. They had, well, I mean, they, Carolina didn't, didn't. Carolina didn't present much of a challenge, but Columbus did. It was. This has been a wacky playoffs, and I have not made north or south of any of it. And I'm not happy it's over, but I'm happy I can finally relax oh. and stop being wrong about stuff. On that note, we forgot to give congratulations. We talked about it last episode. We have the answer now. The ultimate loser of the 2019 Stanley Cup playoffs, the Pittsburgh Penguins, <laughs> who lost to the team that 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 won the cup. <laughs> Oh, man, this is me being really sad. I really wish St. Louis had swept Boston just so they could. we could have said the team that was swept by 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 the team. 
<laughs> their ultimate losers being the pay- there's just been a whole lot of like feel good for the real losers of the league like you lost but here's some nice stuff for you yeah it almost helps you forget about what the Red Wing season was actually like oh boy <laughs> I try I'm trying to be less inflammatory on Twitter and like not not bag on teams when the opportunity presents itself but I'm trying to pick my spots a little more frequently so I sent a tweet last night. I'm like watching another team parade the cup around the Boston Bruins ice while the Leafs take sole possession of the longest playoff drought is a pretty good consolation prize for Red Wings fans this year. <laughs> oh man, I watching Layla lift the cup was awesome. That was awesome. Watching Brett Hall do everything was awesome because. <laughs> Uh, again, another question I asked on Twitter, which I'll actually ask you directly here right now because it's the day after. On a scale of Patrick Kane to Alex Ovechkin, how drunk is Brett Hall right now? He is closer to Alex Ovechkin than people realize. <laughs> and that was before the game started. Yeah, and he does not have Alex Ovechkin's body. He has more dad strength for sure, but he does not He's have. got years of experience, though. He does. He certainly does. Yeah, giving him a live mic is definitely an interesting move by the St. Louis Arena team there. I think that wasn't completely without risk <laughs> and everything worked out just great there was no arrest in st louis last night good for them yeah um in response to boston losing montreal actually burned down their city so <laughs> <laughs> i stole that from a beaverton headline i'm not this funny i, I saw another headline that was boston doesn't even have the the fan presence to burn down their own city while losing in the cup finals like Vancouver does. Shame on you, Boston. You know you know what I think helps with that is uh, that this was a pretty cut and dry loss and it was the third home loss that they were like we can't blame anyone but ourselves. Wait, you mean a team put up a poor performance in game seven of the cup finals at home even though the team didn't show up still blamed it on the goalie and lost by three goals they literally mirrored what they did to Vancouver. <laughs> mirrored. Why, why? What happened in Vancouver? What the Boston fans didn't have the passion to do. <laughs> Don't burn down your city, people. St. Louis started off the year at 25 to 1 odds. It's not a bad payout. Who, there was a guy who put a bet on St. Louis to win the cup around the time they were dead last in January. He put a $400 bet on. Why? There's a video of him popping the champagne when the final clock kicked down because he just won 100K. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Google it. There was video of it going around, but he was losing his mind. He got in at 250 to 1 odds? He did. No. $400 bet. Why would you? That's just burning $400. That's a drunk dude on a night on the town who has more money than he knows what to do with. That's the problem with these bets is because to make that bet, you know that guy's not hurting to begin with. So you no. can't, it's not like a feel-good story like this family was in poverty and this is what saved them. No. But still, good for him because $100,000 is a lot of money to just about anybody. You know what? Yeah. Go get it, man. If you're going to make that bet, it's going to pay off for you. Good for you. Just that my recommendation is don't bank on that happening again. Yeah. Um, like, I, I, you couldn't have pressed me to bet $30 for Detroit to win the cup at the beginning of the season, let alone when they were near last place. No. God, no. You know, so let's talk about the impact that these playoffs are going to have. St. Louis won by not being the more skilled team, but by playing a heavy game, wearing down their opponents, and literally just grinding it out. And overutilizing whatever skill players they had and squeezing out goals from everywhere in the lineup. From the fun- Ken Holland intensifies. 
timing was good for Detroit fans on that one. For real. So there, if we're looking at the the large picture of these playoffs, St. Louis winning is probably bad for the game of hockey because they played. I hate that statement. I hate it, but they played a heavy, slow, defensive shutdown style that we that teams perfected years ago. So if it's a copycat league, we're going to see some teams emulate this and that's not going to increase goal scoring. Not that it's not good hockey, but it's mm, there's more watching Washington win last year was more fun. Now, I have St. a Louis, lot of counterpoints here, but keep going. St. Louis winning is fun because it's it's ultimate team chaos. These playoffs were the the poster for just get in. Doesn't matter if you get in at one, six, eight seed, just get in. The trade deadline is going to be chaos because now every team is going to think they have a chance. Rather than the four or five teams stocking up that we normally see, there might be 12, 13 teams on the market every year thinking, yeah, no, we can do this. No one can look at Columbus and say that was stupid. St. Louis won the cup. Columbus very well could have been the cup winners. Even though I don't remember St. Louis making a huge splash at the deadline, although the Ryan O'Reilly trade uh, way beforehand. Doug Armstrong traded for the Conn Smythe winner. That is the best trade he'll ever make. Yeah, mind you, that was well before the deadline. The Here's the thing with the whole, this isn't good for the game of hockey. I think we think too much about the tree and not the forest here. We're thinking about one instance. This was a playoffs, like you just said, where everything was going awry. Nothing made sense. St. Louis kept progressing. They got in after being dead last in January. All of a sudden, they find themselves in the cup finals. They're playing a team that's objectively more skilled with them, that has more weapons. You have to do what you do to win the cup. I think I think when you get to the playoffs, all bets are off. And this is coming from someone who doesn't like the idea of over, like overselling your, your stock to try and make the playoffs too early. I, I, hate, I hate the notion of... Eight to ten seed, really trying to get in, just banking on a playoffs like this happening. I think that's a silly way to run a team. It's absolutely an idiotic way to run a team, but teams are going to do but it. But as a fan, it's fun to watch. And I think once the playoffs are in, I don't think there's a good way and a bad way. I think there's different teams that win. There's different play styles. There's different kinds of stories. I had just as much watching, much just as much fun watching St. Louis as I did Washington, and I mean that. I'm not even just being argumentative here. I genuinely believe that yeah, if St. like St. Louis wasn't going to outskill them. They weren't. No, no, I get that. It's just they had to shut them down, and they did. Now, because my the one thing that I think might save us is because scoring was way up this year, and most of the teams have embraced that style. We should be all right. But I just remember after Anaheim won in 07, a lot of teams went to that big, heavy style. After Boston won the Cup in 2011, a lot of teams went to that big, heavy style. I just <clears throat> I don't want to see more of that. Not that it will happen. Um, I understand the fear, yeah. but no, I'm not saying it will, but it I also might. don't think St. Louis's game was, was bad to watch. I think it was a, Oh, game six was painful, man. I mean, they they were setting, pumped. they were setting records for amount of zone zone time without generating a scoring chance. Yeah. But how much of that is them just being nervous, right? They had a chance to close out the cup at home. Oh no, it absolutely, it absolutely is that. And, uh. Yeah, I really don't know what to make of it because this was such a chaotic season. The honest-to-God answer here is what have we learned might be absolutely nothing. There is – this is – I think that's actually the correct answer. I 100%. This is the outlier point of all outlier points. Yeah. If you had to put this playoff on, on a chart, this you would eliminate this data point immediately. Yeah. 
This is, you know, so it's like when a child trips and falls. What have you learned? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. They're going to run into the next wall that they see. That is what I've learned from this entire NHL season. Hey, and it was fun. It was fantastic. It was a blast. Chaos reigns, and I'm here for it. Congratulations, St. Louis. You guys did it. I always, again, they're no longer Central Division foes, and they beat Boston. Yes. Hooray, not Boston. (laughs) You know what? Which is what it came down to. And And also... Also, Boston losing saved one current record. The last city to hold three of the four major sport titles at one time was 1935. The Red Wings, Tigers, and Lions. Detroit Reigns. Screw you, Boston. Lions have won something before. It it was 1935, but they did. It was before the Super Bowl era. They wore footballs for helmets and helmets for footballs. (laughs) I think that's actually not too far off the truth. And they had bread feet. They did have bread feet, but we don't talk about that bread. That's offensive offensive to the bread people. (laughs) Oh, boy, that took a turn. I watched uh, that video right before we started recording. The I honestly don't know what video you're referencing. Oh, you've never seen that? No. Okay, I'll show you after. It's great. So I kind of am concerned for myself that I just hopped on that, not thinking it was a reference. I could have gone south fast. Like the bread people. I still don't know much about them. Um, we're going to move on to, uh, I guess we should do player profiles still. Player profiles and draft. Pro- oh, I should. We should talk. Red Wings fans are listening to this podcast. Patrons, uh, you guys will note that we gave you questions to ask the uh, production crew of the Russian Five film, which is out. Uh, we had to delay that interview. It's still happening on a later episode. Do not worry. Uh, we are going to have the director and uh, one or two other people on the crew, I believe. Oh, it's just a matter of aligning. The is time. it Fedorov? It's not. Maybe it could be Sergei Fedorov. It's not. It could be Sergei Fedorov. It's That's all right. Larianov's fine. It's also not Larianov. <laughs> it could be... Ryan, you're bad at hyping and it, false advertising. It could be Larianov. It's really not. Please don't get your hopes up. They don't Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. We have Sergei Fedorov interviews and false advertising. <laughs> Anyways, keep an eye out for that at a future date. It's just, uh, it's funny timing right now because we're getting heavy into the draft content and we're at a point, we're at that weird point in the season where uh, we have our next like four episodes planned out. Oh, on that note, here's what you can expect from the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, Not only are we finishing our season right now, our season before we take a little bit of a break. Not from the podcast, yeah. just from two a week. So. Yeah, we, for uh, for July and August, we go back to one a week because yeah. content's going to be stretched thin. So uh, this Sunday, we're going to have an episode. And on the 19th, the... Oh, my uh, God, the draft is next week. Yeah. On the 19th, we're going we're gonna to have an episode that is going to be our final draft preview. That's the next episode. I have to prepare. No, it's not the next episode. The, we have an episode on the Sunday, 16th. We have two episodes left to the draft, right? Yeah. Final draft rankings, final mock draft. Oh, are we doing those separately? Why Why would we do them together? Where's the fun in that? No, that's true. Because the rankings are just going to predict how we mock draft, or will it? Dun, dun. Um, well, we're, we're having Max in, so he'll he'll be Team Chaos. The tw- Yes, he will. And then the 23rd will be an immediate draft uh, recap, and we're doing that after the full draft, so not just after round one. Yeah. Uh, because we don't, we're not going to make an episode based on one Red Wings pick. Thankfully, because the draft is a Friday, Saturday, us recording on the Sunday finally makes sense. We're going to have one more episode on the 26th, 
and then you're not going to hear from us until after the July 1st long weekend. That's can, uh, Canada Day. So probably in the evening of July 1st, that Monday, you're going to hear an episode. And then from then on, we're going to go weekly on Sundays until you hear from us. Uh, are we Are we still, are we going to do the Patreon only? Yes. Patreon only episodes. So at five the episodes a month for patrons then. Yes. Got you. Four so, for everybody else. So just to keep uh, an eye out on that, we're definitely in like, it's the summertime. So you're going to see a little bit more funky days in terms of like, because, you know, at least two of us are going to be at a cottage on a weekend or there's going to be trips. <laughs> so I have child. Yeah, you do. And soon to be children. I am not going anywhere. Yeah. Actually, that being said, I will be gone on the 21st. <laughs> I'll be first. I'll be in Montreal. The twenty first is a Friday of July. I'll be gone the twenty first. Evan, it's all you, buddy. Or yeah. we're gonna do it the Monday. Yeah, we're definitely gonna do it the Monday. Uh, anyhow, that's what you can expect from the Wind Wheel Podcast. We're gonna do player profiles. We're gonna continue our Red Wings player profile, and then we're gonna get into more draft preview profiles. Uh, we've done all the wingers that aren't prospects that are worth talking about. So we're gonna go to defensemen, and we're gonna start with a contentious one, Danny DeKaiser. Contentious and the first one because he's definitely one that will be on the team for the foreseeable future, whether we want him there or not. Uh, Danny DeKaiser had an interest had an interesting season. This was his first reclamation season, and the scale of that is up to the listener to decide. Uh, that we've seen from him since he signed that um, five year was it five year contract way back five by five five year five million dollar contract. Um, he didn't look as bad as he used to. He had some games where he actually looked quite solid. Um, he had production here and there. He didn't look as fundamentally lost as he used to. Um, it was a little bit nice to see. Broad strokes, was it worth? Was it a season that made all the years prior worth that contract? No, but if you're still worried about that, that's a lost cause, and I'm telling you, you're wasting your time. Uh, but it's definitely one where we saw Danny DeKaiser regain a step in terms of confidence, uh, in terms of positioning, in terms of decision-making, and those are really the things that were his bread and butter because he's not a phenomenal skater, he doesn't have a lot of great offensive output, and he doesn't exactly make the players around him better. What the team needed from Danny DeKaiser, especially at the moment of signing, was for him to be so solid to cover for guys like Mike Green or uh, help aging veterans like Cronwall and Erickson um, when their game fell off where he could be kind of a rock. That's not what he's been. And so this past year where we saw flashes flashes of that inspired quite a bit of confidence. So who is Danny DeKaiser as a hockey player? He's not a good skater. Doesn't have a particularly good shot. Hands are so-so. First pass is all right. But he's a smart player. So basically what I'm saying is he has none of the tools, but the brain is there. So it's enough to get him in the right positions to make the right plays at the right time. His his offensive output over the last two seasons before this year were abysmal. Last three seasons, I would say. But this season, he bounced back and matched his career high for points per game which was a solid 0.38, which isn't tremendous for a defenseman. But <laughs> over the course of it, had he played 82 games without injury, that's a 30-plus point season. Not bad. Worth $5 million. Again, no. But we that's shouldn't... We can't judge at this point. Yeah, we can't judge a player based on his contract at this point. Is he a top-four defenseman in the NHL based on his season this year? Yes. Now that's probably as a number four... I would peg him as a 5-6 guy. On a cup team, sure. On an average team. 
Because, but the thing is, though, thirty plus points, defensively sound, good, defensively better than he used to be. I still wouldn't call it sound. I think he's the type of guy with it. If he had any capable partners, it would go up. Him and Philip Ronick, when they were paired together, were fantastic. I don't know the advanced numbers behind that, so I'd be curious to see. But the eye test, when those two were paired up, were dynamite. Heronic was able to do his thing because he knew where DeKaiser was going to be and he could rely on DeKaiser. And because DeKaiser knew his partner was the guy taking all the risks and doing all that stuff offensive defensemen tend to do, he didn't have to overthink his game, which is his strong suit. He kept it simple and it worked. Now, if I had my way, that's the pairing all season this year. That arguably should be Detroit's number one pairing. I know how sad of a statement that is. Okay, just wanted to make sure. But realistically, who would be the next best? What would be the next best pairing you could think of? I don't have one. Cholosky Green for the first 20 games of a season. Defensively, though. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I still put that unit together as like a second pairing, but they would never see the other team's top line. (laughs) So if Danny DeKaiser has, if his job is to just be the rock, the anchor on a line, and, you know, cover for when a Mike Green rushes up or for when a Philip Ronick moves into the into the play into the offensive zone like he tends to do then that's great years prior I would years prior I would have said no he's not really gained that touch he's not really gained that defensive ability his mind for the game seems to have slipped but this past year like you mentioned it seems to have come back that has to be where he succeeds though because mm-hmm. Ronick and Cholowski are going to be top four defensemen on this team barring something unexpected happening they're are well, not at, is Blashill kind of something unexpected? Yeah, uh, no, that's expected. If you don't see Blashill coming, you've been blind this whole time. Um, just, just clarifying. There's, there are not enough solid defensemen coming through the pipeline, or that are going to be acquired to really get a true top four, top four. Um, you're not going to get a rock solid defensive guy. Like, there's no Vlasic, there's no uh, Edler in, in the lineup. There's nothing like that. And so, Danny DeKaiser is this team's version of. The veteran who knows the game, who definitely has shown that he can be rock solid. He's going to need to be successful as the number four guy. So here's my point to why we should treat DeKaiser better than what he's actually shown is for the reasons you just said. Danny DeKaiser on a good team is not matching up against the other team's top line. He is not eating the big minutes. He is not your primary defenseman on a penalty kill. On the Detroit Red Wings, he is. He's not, he's going up against the Sidney Crosby's and the Connor McDavid's and the Nikita Kucherov's in the world on a game to game basis. So he had a bounce back season in a key role, which can't be understated because if he is doing, again, not great, but admirable in this role against those guys, if Detroit ever does find that number one guy to replace him in that spot, he would thrive against weaker competition. I think he'd be I think he'd be awesome in a third pairing role. If they could really deploy him truly in a third pairing like uh position and Detroit was completely worn out in a playoff series and they just needed a guy to eat up some minutes against like the bottom six of the other team, I would be thrilled to see Danny DeKaiser out there. I think he would even do well against teams number two units. Hey. Not again, not phenomenal, but I think he would hold his head above water. With a better defenseman. Yeah, again again, it's all relative because this guy is was one of the few bright spots and arguably the worst defensive unit in the NHL this year. Less dull spots, I would call him. Fair. He, I would call him a gray spot in a sea of black. That's fair. 
but that's to his credit because and when you're in that sea of black, it's not like anybody's throwing you a life preserver. No, that's and that's that's true too. Because um, he, he spent time with some defensemen who just made absolutely boneheaded decisions on the regular that he got dinged with the dash one. He got dinged with the Corsi against. He looked out of position because his, he was after the puck got turned over because he was expecting something completely different to happen. So stuff like that has to be factored in when evaluating players. No, and that, that's totally fair. Danny DeKaiser is not the the downfall of this team. No, far from it. He's not the savior. He, he almost was in 2013. <laughs> he almost had Detroit beating the cup winning team. Um, but yeah, no, he's not He's not the savior. He's not the downfall. He's a player who unfortunately got too big of a contract too early. Um, <sighs> no trade clause in that thing too, of course. Doesn't matter. Nobody's taking it. So he's not performed up to it but that's hardly been the biggest crux um that this last season has been a really good thing to see because if everything else on the defense trends upward and Danny DeKaiser's the Danny DeKaiser's of the team are at least becoming less bad and back into like serviceable and good then that becomes you're starting to see a shape that looks roughly like a serviceable NHL defensive unit far from it but it's trending in the right direction um, I have a there's a whole swath of guys I would rather see or I would see Danny DeKaiser on a second pairing on before um, these guys. I know I, I phrased that poorly. I don't think Madison Bowie's I, I don't get, understand the obsession with Bowie being much more than he is. I don't think he will. Be. I like him as a good bottom pairing guy. I think he is a bottom pairing guy. I wouldn't even I don't know about good. Um, I've been clear about my my feelings about Cronwall. I think he's. I think people get too hung up on, yeah, he had a good season and he wasn't as bad last year, but I think people really eliminate broader context too much when looking at these situations and they make it too personal. I think he'd be much better done as a defensive coach. I understand that there's not a lot to replace him with. Well, right now, there's only two defensemen in the system currently on the left side that you could argue will ever leapfrog him in the pecking order. That's Dennis Cholosky. And Jared McIsaac. There's not another option coming. McIsaac's hurt. I'd honestly rather see Chalosky up there. And I would just like. But you're what, not pairing Chalosky with Hronik. No, but whatever of like Kasky or, you know. Kasky's s- a righty. Sorry, Yarv. Who, since when has that mattered? Uh, to uh, Mike Babcock disciples a lot. Get Hicketts up there. I know Shulak's gone now. It's not. Oh, we haven't even talked. Oh, yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah, he's gone to Russia. We yeah. talked about that last episode. He was the odd man out. Yeah. Yeah. That was bad. Well, it is what it is. Not it was that, never going to be. I, I I know people. I know we talked about it last episode. We call him the first casualty of uh, mismanagement yeah. and of yeah. this log jam. But it's it's an unfortunate situation. The the defensive whole like the defensive roster up and down. Not even just the pipeline is a little bit bleak right now. But then the McIsaac injury complicates things a little bit. He the McIsaac injury complicates nothing because he wasn't making this team next year anyway, and he wasn't AHL eligible. So yeah, but good content. We could have we could have talked about him like we talked about Valena last year. You know who we're going to talk about like Valeno this year? Valeno. <laughs> Let's move on to our uh, prospect spotlights. Uh, we're going to do a few more players. Braden Tracy is one that you want to do, so I'm going to let you get to that one. Braden Tracy. Depending on what rankings you look at, he is usually ranked somewhere between 30 on the really high end of the scale and low 50s on the other. So he's a, he's firmly entrenched in the second round. He's an interesting case. He plays. He's a left winger out of Moose Jaw in the WHL, won the WHL Rookie of the Year. Um, 
The reason he won WHL Rookie of the Year as a 17-year-old is because he didn't play in the WHL as a 16-year-old, which is rare. But he came in and was producing on Moose Jaw's top line as a good, smart offensive forward. I think he had 80-something points in 60-something games. It was a big year. He's a smart, smart hockey player and an argue, and arguably at the U18s was Canada's best forward on a couple games, which is saying a lot because that team wasn't lacking talent. Mm-hmm. I understand why he's in the second round because you're only looking at a one-year sample size. But once you get past pick 20, you should really be swinging. And this is a guy that every time I watch him, I'm inclined to bump him two, three, four, five spots up my rankings. I think I had him high 20s in my last ranking and I was one of the few people who had him in my first round and spoiler for the next episode he'll be higher than that on my next one he is I know Detroit's not lacking for wingers right now but if he's sitting there at 35 I'll be pissed if Detroit doesn't take him he's that good and again sample size I understand that but that's a full year in the WHL he produced at a very similar clip to Kirby Doc and Dylan Cousins. <laughs> not quite to their level and their centers. He's a wing, but not far off. And he's not slated till the second round. I truly think that if Doc and Cousins weren't in the dub, taking all the attention, and Byram obviously, but that's a different position, Tracy would be getting a lot longer looks. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, no, we are not done the Doc Cousins, Zegras, everyone else debate at six. There is going to be a final paramount discussion uh, about that on one of our previous, probably both of our pre-draft episodes that are remaining. Um, but I digress. Braden Tracy okay. would be a great get for Detroit. 80, 36 goals, 45, point, uh, 45 assists, 81 points in 66 games. Just for reference, and I'm going to pull this up. So, You don't have this ready, Brad? Dude, I got to Google two things here at one time, okay? And then just for reference, projected top five pick, Kirby Doc, who is in his second season in the WHL, 73 points in 62 games. Oh, man. You know what? We're going to talk about this with Max soon, but (laughs) I was talking to Max the other day, the other night, and he was like... uh, He's Max is a lot more open-minded and curious about players like Doc... um, than you are. <laughs> I have probably watched more Kirby Doc than anybody who's not a scout this year. I'm every every ranking I have seen has made me question what I know about prospects. Because again, I'm going to specify this because everybody says this as I say this guy's a terrible hockey player. Kirby Doc's a great hockey player. He is absolutely a first round pick 10 out of 10 times. He's even firmly entrenched in my top 20 at worst. He's not number six. He should not go number six overall. He's got worse numbers than a guy that I'm in the same league that's projected to go in the 20s with less experience in the WHL. I I don't get... And then I, I'm like, okay, maybe it's a toolkit thing. And yeah, he's big and yeah, he's got great hands, but he doesn't... Anyways, I'm not... This is not a dot conversation. I don't... Back to your point, Ryan. <laughs> Isn't it though? I was gonna... I was Every... I am... Because of all these tirades I have been on, I have never been more certain in my life that Detroit is going to draft him at six. (laughs) I know it's coming. I know I'm going to get radioed on everything I said because if Detroit drafts him, guess what? I'm the kid's biggest fan. Let's go. Prove me wrong. But I know it's coming and I know every one of you listening (laughs) 
is going to rip me for years about everything he does. <laughs> I I hope that whoever drafts him, Detroit or otherwise, ends up with the biggest home run swing. Because here, I, I'm sorry to take away from Brady and Tracy. You made a lot of great points. I agree about all of them. I, I, I was using Kirby Doc as an example for how good Braden Tracy is because he's putting up better numbers than a guy who in a lot of rankings is top five and Tracy's average ranking is something like 41. It's insane. To I don't me. think he falls out of the first round. I don't think so either. Yeah. But according to professionals, he might, he might. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to save the doc conversation. I think there's a lot to it. I'm ready to to have a discussion. We've here. already had it many times. We're going to have it again, man. We do this podcast twice. Well, a week. We're, we're doing, we're doing the rankings and we're going to get to them. Spoiler. Nothing. You're going to have to listen. <laughs> Uh, John Beecher, uh, speaking of big centermen, um, he's starting to get a lot of first round attention. He is. And you know what? For a Red Wings team that traditionally looks for guys or I shouldn't even say Red Wings team. A lot of organizations love a big centerman who can produce. And you look at a guy like John Beecher. No, is his production as impressive as other guys? Absolutely not. But he has shown flashes of it. Um, he's a big guy who can skate, which whenever you can find that, like, yes, that's absolutely a plus. It's not just some fallacy in the hockey world where that's not truly valuable. If you're six, three or above and you can move your feet, you're, that's a great skill that you can define your entire skill set around that. Um, if, if you're looking for a guy to round out top six, top nine centerman duties, um, He's not going to be a top-line center, but he can play on the PK. He can really realistically play on your second line, depending on who his wingers are. Um, he can move his feet. That's something that you look for, in my mind, if you're really dead set on having this big guy. My traditional pick with your best pick, if you have like a top six pick like the Red Wings do, I think you take the highest skill guy. Oftentimes, they end up being smaller players. I'd rather see a Zegris than a Doc. That's just my preference. Hey, look, Ryan's doing it too. Nope, nope, not taking as hard of a line. But if you're dead set on finding these big centers who can move and possibly do everything, I think the more realistic thing to do is to look at guys like John Beecher. Um, again, this is a guy who was on the US NTDP, and so he is he's like, what, the fourth best center on that team? No, not even. <laughs> so he got zero power play looks. So there's a no. lot of unknowns to him, and, and he could be he could have a lot more offensive production than what we've seen. It's just a matter of maybe giving him the opportunity. So uh, I think that's an interesting pick. And I think that's one that's probably pretty popular around the league because obviously this is still an old school league that loves big centermen who can skate, hit, kill penalties. That's their shit right there. Can skate, kill penalties. Physically competes hard every shift. He's elite. No, stop it. He's Darren Helm. There it is. Darren Helm's not big. Anyways. Darren Helm's not big at all. How tall is he? Like six feet? Six one? He's north of six feet. He's not as big as John Beecher. And I think Beecher's got more offensive instincts than Darren Helm does. But the way you were describing it, I'm just like, I hear Darren Helm here. I hear Darren Helm a lot right now. But yeah, I... I, I, I 5'11", not even. Really good for him. Uh, ah, yeah. I, I like John Beecher. I don't like him at 35, though. Uh, I'm going to mess up his name again. Is is it Albin? Albin, Albin Greve. All right, let's do that. Let's do the thing on Albin Greve. Another guy who's been rocketing up lists, and I would not be surprised to see him instead of going around fifty, where he's been ranked, closer to thirty-five or forty. Do you like grit? Do you like hard to pronounce names? Do you like Moxie and charisma? 
Have we got the second round pick for you? Swedish Johan Franzen, who's also Swedish, Albin Greve. <laughs> nice recovery there. I meant to do that. Yeah, he's uh, he's like he's not. I wouldn't say he's uh, only a gritty player. I think he's pretty skilled as well. He's skilled. His skill is limited. He's not a particularly elite skater. His his hands are good. His offensive instincts are, from what I've seen, good, not great. He's the type of guy that if everything pans out well for him, he'll be a really good complimentary player. Like, again, to, to relate prospects to Red Wings so everybody can fully understand what type of player he is, even though it's not a direct comparison. If everything goes right for Greve, you're looking at Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, which is fine, which is great. That is an absolute top six forward. Just, I'm using it as a comparison for if you want to know who he is. I think Greve probably skates a little better than Bertuzzi does. I don't think his um, puck recovery game is as good as Bertuzzi's was at the same point. So a couple things cancel out that don't make them quite the same player. But if you're looking for the concept of a player, that's the best comparison on the Red Wings right now. With that, we're going to probably talk here and there about a few other second round uh, potential prospects, um, but we're going to be doing a lot more of a holistic approach with our last two episodes, final rankings, final mock draft. Max will be on for that. Uh, we're bringing Scott Wheeler back after the draft as well. Um, so there's a lot of good stuff coming up. I'm drinking a beer and so there's a lot of uh, burping coming up. Um, we're going to be really digging into this before the sweet, sweet bliss of no longer doing two weeks for just a couple months comes back um yeah there's a lot to look forward to and spoilers there are no spoilers you have to listen to the damn episodes um some quick hits the sharks are apparently prepared to offer eric carlson an eight-year 88 million dollar contract y'all thought i was crazy why who said you were crazy most people said he wasn't gonna get north of 10 Oh, I think the people who are like, yeah, if he signs for like 8.7 in Tampa, I'm like, no, stop it with that. He's not going to do that. Yeah, I mean, if I'm Carlson, I take that deal and run. San Jose is a great place to play. Depends on how, you know, whether or not he actually wants to live there. I know his wife doesn't, like, wife loves being back closer to Ottawa. Yeah, but I don't want to see him in Montreal. So, unless it's Detroit, please stay in San Jose, Eric. I don't want you in our in our conference unless you are in Detroit. Uh, Red Wings, the Eiserman's been giving some interviews, and it's been funny because he's very ironclad, that guy. doesn't really give away a lot. So, again, for the millionth time, it's like pulling teeth. What we can glean, it seems like uh, Valeno's going to get a very serious look, at the very least get a good number of games in, if not be on the team full-time, depending on how he produces. And what sense does that mean? Like, he's going to play right through the end of preseason, or are they talking, like, nine-game trial? I think, well, I think he'll get his NHL look. I think he'll get his nine-game trial, and honestly, I don't see Valeno. I, I could see him doing a 41-41 split. Joe Valeno in the 2018 draft was my anti-doc. I was the guy way higher on him than a lot of people. And I am never, ever going to stop bragging about that one. Oh, is that it? That was your entire point? That was my entire point. You just want to feel, okay. I just needed to pat myself on the back because. I'm glad you said it because I'm, again, I have that burping coming up and I wouldn't have been able to say it in that instant. So thank you for taking my spot Ryan, there. I got you, buddy. Appreciate my it. timing is impeccable. Another pat on my back. No, your timing is not impeccable. Let me tell you that. It's fantastic. It right? is uh, timing for sure. 
Um, and it is not <laughs> at, comedic. At least I don't have Evan's dramatic pause, or just, do I? You know, I was talking to Mel about that, and Mel was like, does Evan know that that's not funny for anyone not in the room, which is everyone? And I was like, no, he doesn't understand that. He thinks it's hysterical. She's like, well, how do you guys? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, by the way, happy birthday, Evan. Happy birthday, Evan. How do you feel about turning, what do you say, 28, 29? 29. 29. How do you feel about turning 29? And that, that was Evan. That's where the dramatic pause worked. Yeah, it was good. There we go. We mastered his shtick without him. <laughs> Evan listening. Oh, shit. God damn. We mastered his shtick without him while talking about him. That's some inception garbage right there. Things that we've done extremely, we've become way better at this podcast. Managing Evan, imitating Evan, predicting Evan, and uh, scouting prospects. <laughs> <laughs> Have we, though? I still feel paranoid about my opinions on Doc. Uh, yeah, that's a little bit Max's fault, but we'll have you guys in for uh, a Royal to, Rumble. To soon. be fair, one of our other friends who privately sends us lists has made me feel much better about myself. It, I I honestly think most people, most of the talking heads and most of the, the brains that aren't NHL teams share your opinion about Doc. I don't a lot like he's, they, they're they probably level closer to where I am. I think you're a little bit more on the heavier downside. Not to say that there aren't people there. I think a lot. Yeah, of people it's like I'm. I'm still talking about a top fifteen pick. Like, yeah, it's not like I'm sitting here and saying this guy's worse than Arthur Kaliev. I'm not there yet. I think I have him at what ten eleven. I had him at eleven on my last ranking. Spoiler: You'll have to listen on Sunday to find out how far he drops, or does he? Or does he? Uh, in any case, uh, with that, we're going to move over to Patreon, where all of our patrons get their comments read out on air, guaranteed is our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Boy, these are going to be a lot of irrelevant questions. Yeah, I, I asked you guys to talk about the uh, Ask the Russian Five crew. I'm going to come back to this one. We do actually have them on. The nature of uh, getting someone so in demand for the uh, the interview um, means that sometimes we're going to have to reschedule, and that's okay. We're excited to have them on, and they can't. Uh, wait to be on either uh, so for all we you, think the, the first uh, comment is from Jason Hayes who said can't wait to hear this I'm sorry Jason oh boy um, I'm going to skip over all the ones that aren't Russian 5 um, I saw it I was blown away I actually I, sobbed like I, I actually like when we got to Konstantinov like I cried I'm hoping I can watch it this weekend That's, I bought it yes it's on iTunes now Oh, yeah, you can work iTunes. I have it on my phone. You're going to watch it on your phone? I don't have iTunes on the laptop yet. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kaylin Wood says, Ryan, Brad, Evan, how are you now? Do you think we have a shot at all at landing Krug? And would you want him if we do? Would you take him over Truba? Yes, yes, and yes. Yeah. Yeah. There, okay, so let's examine three parts of this. Can Do we actually want him? Yes, because we have eyes. Um, could we actually get him? Yes, actually, Elliot Friedman, a couple podcasts ago on 31's Thoughts, went out of his way to say that Detroit would be hot to trot on Krug if he hit free agency. And three, would I prefer him over Jacob Truba? Absolutely, yes. Phenomenal, yes. Um, also, what if we traded a couple second-round picks for a late first to get Spencer Knight, like Trevor Thompson, on Fox Sports Detroit proposed? Mm. I know that he was likely just ruffling feathers and flexing on the olds, but there's something interesting about Stevie Y, the Detroit Red Wings general manager, in case you didn't know, uh, not making a second-round pick at all and wheeling and dealing on the floor. That's all pitter-patter. Um I'm pretty sure Eisenman has more of a history of trading back than trading up. Detroit has a lot of holes to fill. They need more swings. Thanks to Philip Larson's development, I don't think Detroit has a critical need where this is one of those drafts. They absolutely have to take a goalie, so I would advise against it. 
Uh, Philip Gastineau says, hey, boys, been busy. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, what would we have to give up for Shane Gossespair? The Flyers are shopping him. He's 26 and signed for $4.5 million for the next four years. They're looking for offense for now. What if we traded Athens to CU or flipped some picks and prospects for a player, then trade it to Philadelphia for him? He had a down year, but all of Philly did. In 17-18, he had 65 points in 78 games. I would give up a lot for Shane Goss this bear. That contract is phenomenal. The player is phenomenal. I'd man, Athens is my favorite player on the Red Wings. I would happily trade him as part of a package for Goss to spare. I'm happy you said that. Here's my thing. Think of every single defenseman who has had down years who has instantly been shopped. Uh, Victor Hedman was shopped before he really exploded. Alex Petrangelo was shopped at one point before I, they ended up. As, as recently as four months ago. Yeah. Player, like number one defenseman or top pairing defenseman constantly get moved before they're able to develop. And when these guys are under 27 years old with a good cap control and a reasonable cap hit. Yes, absolutely. I would love to get Shane Goss's bear. And I would, if the market's low, then I'd be happy to overpay. Cause if you get Shane Goss's bear at value, that means you're still winning because there's a premium on defensemen. If there's ever been a tagline for me on the show, it's the fact it's me talking about the premium on defensemen. Yes. Shane Goss Yes, yes, yes. People are low on him. His stock is low. He had a poor year by now. Absolutely. Okay. Think of the best hypothetical trade for Shane Goss That makes you at least a little uncomfortable that you would still do. Uh, Athens to see you in a high pick. How high? Second. One of the seconds. 35. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go a step further. Athens to and McIsaac. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would too. I would too. I think I would do it. I know Prashanth or someone's listening and they're going to be like, hey, here's some charts to tell you why you're damn wrong. <laughs> but, and again, I'm saying this. Athens to is my favorite player on the Red Wings. You you work in everything. You work in Athens to upcoming payment that's going to be need to be made. You work in the uncertainty of Jared McIsaac and you work in what we've seen from Shane Goss despair. Bef- like now before he's even fully developed. Yeah, absolutely. I'll a- do that. Athens to next contract is going to be more than Shane Goss despair is making right now. Just so everybody's clear on that. It's hard because he didn't have like <laughs> I, I I'm hesitant to use these charts too much or like for all context. I don't think that's a proper thing to do, but I love these evolving hockey charts, the RAPM charts. His RAPM chart is not flattering, but again, he did have a poor year. Um I do love the guy though. His like even just what he can do on a power play. Say he turns out to be an average defenseman. If he's gonna put out on the power play like he did. Oh, boy. Congratulations. You no longer have a prime Mike Green, but now you have a prime Shane Goss to spare on your power play. Congrat- like, that's fantastic. You want to know what you would want Danny DeKaiser to be? Shane Goss to spare's anchor. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, uh, I would have higher expectations. But, um, yeah. Shane uh, Goss to spare is everything we're hoping Dennis Chilo- uh, Philipronic could be. Joseph D'Elia says, hey, guys, just watch the Russian five. I'm all on board now to take pod coals in if our worst case scenario happens. But then again, Corey just put out an article today for who your favorite team should avoid in the draft. And he was on the list. Was that Corey or Scott? Scott. Um, Since we are nine days away today from the draft, who would you guys like at number nine? If that was the wings pick? Thanks, my guy. At nine. Okay, so we'd have to come up with a hypothetical. Who's gone? One through eight. Ryan, mock one through eight, and then I'll make my pick. Hughes. Okay, hold on. Let me pull up my rankings here. Uh, we're obviously Hughes, Kako. Yep. Um, Turcotte, Byram. Okay. 
let's say Doc has gone top five, Zegra six, um, Cousin seven, Caulfield eight. Hmm. <laughs> That's a tough one. Let me just... The only player I moved up into my top eight for that one, hypothetical, was a Doc. And that's not because that's where he's on my rankings. That's just where I think he's likely to go. And I'm Krebs down. His Achilles injury probably is going to bump him down a few spots. So if that's the top eight, that's a no-brainer for me then. Vasily Podkolzin? Vasily Podkolzin. Yeah, I think that would be at And then nine. if Podkolzin was gone instead of Doc, I would put some serious consideration into Boldy, Krebs, and Broberg. Um, I think if Cousins fell to nine, that would be an absolute steal. I wouldn't say absolute steal, but yeah, then I would very, very seriously look at that. You know what? I, I've been part of this whole not getting married to draft picks initiative. I've been looking at guys who I've maybe said they're not my preference at pick number six. Like, for example, I'm very firmly, if it's not Turcotte or Byram, I'm very right now very much in favor of Zegris or just swinging for the fences on Caulfield even. But of the guys we're looking at who maybe we put down too far on our list to start, I really am coming around on Cousins. Sometimes it has different different effects because I've been doing the same thing because last year we got so married to like two players that it made the whole draft too narrow focused for us. So I, I've been doing the exact same thing. And the more I've watched Cousins, the more I, I'm with you, I've kind of come around. But the more I've watched Doc, I've gone the other way. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's true. And like I've I've come back up on Broberg. I've softened on Krebs. I've come back up on Boldy. Like most of those guys still don't come all the way back up to number six for me, but it, it if we do go a little off the board and pick one of them, it's definitely going to soften the blow. The absolute best part about this is even if, even if Detroit takes a player who we didn't want, they still get a phenomenal talent. We're mm. really detracting from the fact that this top 10 has a ton of talent. Yeah, we're talking about, yeah, they picked a guy at six. And the guy they pick, even if we're not happy, doesn't mean we pick him at 20. It's a guy we pick at, oh, no, we picked a guy that we would have picked at nine. Oh, right? no, we got a top 10 pick. Woe is us. If you get Doc, okay, you were obviously, the our job is to talk about the other players we could have had. But you still get Kirby Doc on your team. Yeah. Um, free. A- remember, the draft is free assets. Free assets. Uh, Matthew McAvoy says, initially didn't look too much of the Red Wings making a move to get Truba, but uh, looking back at how quickly Eisman addressed the goalie situation at Tampa after he arrived, I think we might see a similar focus on fixing the blue line in Detroit. What do you guys think? Um, you know what? I, I think that's a fair assessment. I think there's one major difference. Detroit is not nearly as close as Tampa was. Yeah, he. it's not... Eisenman plays everything close to the vest, but you have to remember he went out of his way in his introductory presser to say, this is going to take time. I don't think he's going to make any rust decisions. As much as I'm on the sign Eric Carlson bandwagon, I don't think that's going to be in Stevie's mind. Um, I don't, I think he'll, I'm not saying he won't make trades. I think if the right trade for a young player like Goss presents itself, he would absolutely jump on it. But I don't think he's going to overpay for a guy like that. If he feels he's getting fair value, he will do it. So I think every move he makes this summer is going to be with an eye on 2022 to pick a random year. Not this year. Uh, Joseph Craig says, I just watched the Russian 5 movie and it was amazing. So great to see the behind the scenes. Um, Oh, this is just a comment. I'm going to save this for the Russian 5 episode. Sorry. Sorry for all of you. I know this is tough. It's part of the biz, you know, it's part of the gig. 
Uh, Alex Zucco says, hey, guys, let's talk early expansion draft planning. You think Stevie makes a deal with Seattle to take a long-term vet contract at that point, likely Nielsen or Abdulkader in exchange for a minor asset to sweeten the deal? Yeah, people forget that Iserman traded, what was it, a second-round pick for yep. Vegas to take Garrison? And remember, um, the assets that were given up in all of these trades with Vegas were not minor, and almost every one of them burned the team in the ass that gave up the sweetener. So I am very much in favor of just take the damn player and leave us alone. No, Tampa gave up one of their seconds and a fo- one of Pittsburgh's fourth to have them and, take Jason Garrison. And the rights to Nikita Gusev. Who's oh, coming over did. next year? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah who yeah, looks yeah. like an Gusev. absolute stud? Forgot Gusev. Forgot Gusev. But if he can, if if the Red Wings have a glut of draft picks and he can give up a draft pick for them to take a Nielsen, if it's just like a late second round pick like they have this year to take a Nielsen, I'm all for it. It won't cost that cheap. Uh, Joseph, I we'll see. Joseph Fournier says, "Hey there, Ryan, Braddeth, and Evan and or Max. Uh, the prospect fervor in each market sure is relative. Chicago blogs are all over Turcotte as expected, and the Colorado blogs are all hot for Duck. Crazy, what? right? Why? Fine by me. Uh, the LA Kings blogosphere seems to be a bit of a dark horse. They have an odd draft history as of late, so I don't know which direction they're heading. Uh, they've been linked to everyone else. Makes me think that they don't know what to do. Uh, just read Max's athletic piece on potential rebuild uh, paths. If you haven't already discussed it, thoughts on Jonas Donskoy? If he comes at the contract that Max proposed, I love it. It's it's no, it's a no-risk, low-dollar contract. If you get him sub if you get him even at three mil for three to four years, yeah, great. It's the type of contract that's not going to cripple your cap and he'll provide good depth up front where Detroit is lacking. But the downside to that is, well, yeah, now you're taking up an extra roster spot, which would you rather see a young guy develop there? Or Jonas Donskoy. Again, I don't think there's as many young forwards knocking in the door as the rest of the Red Wings fan base seems to think there is. So I don't think it's a huge issue, but. That's just me. I remember the Shepard Larianoff trade quite well. I was in eighth grade. My dad was so angry because Shep was one of his favorites. Then we began watching the Russian Five play together. Holy cow, the inception of the Red Wings puck possession style. Man, I'm telling you, that was some fun hockey to watch. It's not the same nowadays, but I believe Stevie Y can steer the ship back. As for my dad, Iggy, the professor, became one of his new favorites. He's in, he even has an autographed bottle of his triple OT Vino, stay fresh, cheese bags. K was says, hey, bros, hopefully I'm not too late. Friendly reminder, Steve Eisman is the GM of the Detroit Red Wings. He is. Can't believe it's the end of the hockey season. It makes me sad. 113 days until hockey comes back. Don't give me a countdown. It just makes it feel longer. If I may offer a suggestion for discussion topics, you guys could go into detail of different play styles of the game or even just offensive or defensive philosophies, advantages and disadvantages of each, that sort of thing. That's actually a really good one. Uh, anyways, to my questions. First, who has the best in arena fans? Montreal fans are rabid. Um, Montreal fans are up there. Vegas is up there. You know what? Hometown or Homer pick here. Detroit fans are fantastic. Not this season. We weren't. No, when the arena is full. When it's full, yeah. Um, trying to think if there's any other. Winnipeg. Winnipeg fans are... Winnipeg's real good. Secondly, what's your favorite kind of hummus? Uh, so for those of you who don't know, I'm Middle Eastern. My mom, like my parents are from Iraq. My mom makes hummus from scratch. She's recently, she sells it to our, like my dad's work friends and stuff. Uh, she started making flavors that she thought like <laughs> her white friends would like. And she started making like dill hummus and garlic hummus, like heavy garlic hummus and like red roasted red pepper. And oh, uh, but like the dill hummus is wild. <laughs> it is nuts. 
Roasted garlic aioli. Yeah. Uh, Sean Stephen Cook, new patron. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast family, Sean. Says, hey, boys, first time patron. I just want to throw in something not hockey related. The U.S. Uh, women's national team just beat Thailand 13 to nothing in the first game they played this Women's World Cup. I think that was one of the least productive games in women's soccer we've seen in a while. Sure, they won, but they showed no restraint to a team that has struggled with popularity forever. Asia has essentially a non-existent women's soccer scene aside from Japan. I think if they want to grow the sport, protect their star players from getting targeted and maintaining the level of respect that has existed when a super team comes up against a struggling team. Um, I'll keep rooting for the girls, but wish they didn't seek to embarrass their opponents. Yeah, the cheering after what was it? The ninth goal was a bit much. So here's my thing. There's a lot of things to cover. The U.S. should not care about how sports are growing in other countries, in Thailand and all that. That's not their problem. They just want to win their championships. If they want to score 13 nothing because they figure that's going to help them win, sure. Someone made the point of, yeah, well, some of these girls who were cheering after like the 8th, ninth, 10th goals, whatever it was, it was their first national goals, team goals. Absolutely, they should cheer. I'm all for that. But I also was paying attention to a little bit. Um, not all of them. That was their first goal. Like, I think Alex Morgan was going ham on, like, a 9 nothing goal, and it was her, like, fifth goal of the game, and she scored how many dozen goals for the U.S. women's team? That's shitty. I, like, you don't want to... When they say it's disrespectful to your opponents to not celebrate, shut up. <laughs> shut That is the dumbest argument I've heard for that. It's disrespectful for your opponents to ham it up like you just scored a goal in OT when you made it 9 nothing. I'm not saying lay... Take the foot off the gas. This is the top stage of women's soccer. You've worked four years to get here. Don't throw away half a game because the other team sucks. I, I get it. But yeah, like, if it's not your first goal, chill. Chill. And I'm very pro-celebration, pro-chaos, pro-fun. But there is a point where it's just stupid. Connor Jager says, hey, guys, uh, I have a friend out in Vancouver that works for the Canucks, and he was able to swing some amazing tickets to the draft and invited me to go with. Oh, my God. Mm. Uh, so I made the big boy decision to fly out and watch Stevie make his first draft selection as GM of the Wings. Oh, man, you got to rep some Wingville podcast stuff. Hit me up. <laughs> Tweet at me. Um, to say I'm excited is very much an understatement. Thank you guys so much for your player profiles and draft analysis over the past few weeks. It just adds way more to the excitement, even for some of the later rounds. Let's go Wings. Man, enjoy Vancouver. That's going to be awesome. As Canadians, one of the best Canadian cities to visit. Um, also the most expensive Canadian city to visit, oh which is why we're not there right now. Uh, Rowan says, hey, dud dud hosts. Uh, he has a question for the Russian five team. Sorry. Uh, so you might not be aware, but there's a marquee ice hockey showdown this Saturday night in Sydney with us and a playing Canada. I think Canada may be in trouble. So as no, no name as no name players made the squad us and a, on the other hand, have a uh, hang on Mitch Callahan. You know what? I might have oversold this given the perceived lack of consensus rankings in this draft. Do you foresee many teams jostling to move up and down any more than usual? Uh, no, in drafts like this, there tends to be less movement because teams will have three or four guys pretty high up their list and they can tend to be a little more patient. Um, plus, with all the teams getting burned on trade backs lately, I don't see teams for being eager to jump up unless there's a guy they really, really love. So I'm not going to sit here and say there there will be zero uh, shuffling in the first round, but I don't think it'll happen till the 20s. 
Uh, Jersey question, and I love this question. Uh, he says, remember the three Habs Centennial jerseys that I rolled out 10 years ago? Here's the link. Rank them three, two, one. Brad, I just sent it to you. Opening now. I think these jerseys were not talked about nearly enough. So there is that red, blue, and white striped one that gives oh, you Oh, these Caesar, things? Yeah. The red and green one, and then the blue one with the C. Okay, well, the worst Are we making one, meme picks or real picks here? Like, if we're making at real picks here, the uh, the candy cane stripe is dead last by a country mile. You know, I'm kind of obsessed with it, man. <laughs> it's all, I'm all for, like, funky jerseys like that. That's just a poor, it, like, poor example of it. If you gave me the choice to buy one, I would pick that one. If I had to rank them objectively three, two, one, that one would be third. Yeah, I'm going to go number one. Mm, this is tough. I have the red and green one. Yeah, one. I'm going red and green number one. I'm going blue number two. And then uh, I'm going to go 37 feet of dirt and dung. And then I'm going to go with those jerseys at number four. Real rankings, red one, number one, blue one, number two, candy stripe, number three. What I would buy in order, candy stripe, number one. The two and three are also candy stripe. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I would pay money for. That's a jersey you wear to Montreal for a Habs game if you're cheering against Montreal just to mock them. Yeah. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, that's it for this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, this Sunday, we have another episode and then the Wednesday thereafter, there's another episode. That's going to be our final draft rankings, our is final mock draft. Thursday? I thought it was Thursday. We'll have to talk about that. I don't know. Check wingedwheelpodcast.com for the schedule. Uh, dun dun. We want to thank all of our listeners, our Patreon supporters, our name-level sponsors, Sky Carcass, Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Matthew M. Rice, Kalen Wood, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Alant, Ryan Lewis, Hannah Lee. You guys are all amazing. We love you. The draft is almost here. Play Gloria. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.